0: Today, we get to feature an amazing author who has written a bunch of Western-style books, and uh, uh, his name is David A. Bowles, and I'm going to introduce him in just a second more thoroughly. But first, I want to talk
1: to my friend Eric. How are you today, sir? Happy Monday. I'm doing fine, Kevin. Uh, happy, hopefully, you had a great Thanksgiving. I did, and you? Yeah, it was pretty decent. Made uh, all the fixings and had my dad come over, and uh, yeah, we had a good time. Thank you for inviting the old fellow over. I know what that's like now from the other side. (laughs) 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 And, of course, you are welcome, but I I neglected to send a, a formal invitation to you. But just know that you're always welcome.
0: Well, thank you, sir. I, I, was, I was meeting my uh, uh, son's new girlfriend and, and her two kids, and, and we had a really nice time. And it's, it's, it's really cool, especially a, a three-year-old and a nine-year-old. It's been a while since I've been around that age group, and it's, <laughs> it's
1: refreshing. Actually. Well, that's a ball of energy, so hopefully uh-huh. <laughs> some of that rubbed off.
0: Exactly, and uh, it, it, it was a lot of fun. And I just want to say to everybody that uh, if you had a Thanksgiving that was more of just like regular Thursday to you, I want to invite you to stay here and talk to us because we really care about you guys, and we really hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving and is going into the Christmas season is going to have a wonderful time as well. So uh, I just wanted to say we appreciate you and thank you for being here. And I know Eric agrees with that. <laughs> of course, of course. And uh, Eric, when you were a kid, did you grow up? Did you uh, have a, like your favorite author? Did you read?
1: Did I read? I mean, <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, like read books. Yes, yes, of course, of course. I mean, it one was mandatory th- in school for one thing. But uh. yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> one of my favorite uh, genres was the old western. Um, Louis L'Amour, who yeah. has... That was
1: my t- grandfather's favorite uh, author.
0: Yeah. And, yeah and he wrote book after book after book and and even even John Wayne was in some of the movies that they that they made out of his books and stuff. And we have a gentleman that we're going to be talking to in just a second. who is in that uh, vein? His name is David Bowles. He is uh, uh, his website is called Western Sagas. .com go there and he's got tons of books and he's a really is a fun guy who's also uh, a bit of a history buff, buff of the old west including one of the places that's on my bucket list which is called the Alamo. I'm sure you've heard of that.
1: I remember it well. <laughs> <laughs> you were there, weren't you? No. <laughs>
0: no. And uh, that if if you if the Alamo escapes you if you're wondering what that was that was in I believe it was 1836 the Texans had declared independence from uh, Mexico and Santa Anna came up and uh, and 186 and David will correct me on these numbers but 186 people including uh, Jim Bowie and um, davy crockett were killed at the at the alamo defending texas and which led to the creation of the state and uh, he talks about a lot of those things and he is a real western dude he is in texas himself and uh, he wears a cowboy hat and boots and all that stuff so david welcome to the show how are you
2: glad to be here i hope you guys had a great thanksgiving and I'm one of those guys that didn't have such a great one. I had a poor old sick, old Becca got sick on me. Somebody fed her too much on Thanksgiving. And I've been uh, fighting a battle here with the dog. But I'm glad to be here. And I appreciate you talking about the Alamo. That's right? a favorite of mine. And you, your math is pretty doggone good, Kevin. It's 189. But for many years, you might have found it in an old book. And you might have been right because they found three more uh, uh, came up and proved that they were there uh, about 20 years ago. So up till about 20 years ago, uh, uh, 186 uh, was correct number, and now it's 189. So they've had to they've had to put a few extra names on the uh, cenotaph since it was installed.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm glad you cleared that up because I had I. I had no idea. I always had it in my mind 186, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter because you no, know, it's close. These guys, um, you know, when we talk about that time frame, and we talk about people that they were standing there at the Alamo for those 13 days, and they were staring at close to 5,000 troops, and they knew that they probably were not going to survive. And it's amazing the courage that that people had in those days.
2: And I can I say something about that? You know, uh, a lot of people ask about William B. Travis, who was a commander of the Alamo. Uh, he drew a line in the sand. And he asked those that were going to stay with him to come across the line. And those that didn't, he would, he would not... Uh, Forgive you know, they he understood. He said, because they all knew that they had they were they were gonna die there. And only one went over the wall, and that was Mo, a guy by the name of Moses Rowe. And people asked me, said, Well, is that about William B. Travis drawing a line in the sand? And I always say, Yes, because we had the eyewitness, and you gotta think about it when he admitted that he was, you might say, a deserter and went over the wall. Uh, but obviously, he had very good reason. But he he told the story about William B. Travis and drawing a line in the sand, and that uh, William B. Travis gave them the opportunity to leave, and he's the only one that chose to do so. You know, so Dave. That's... oh, I was, go ahead. Yeah, that's just fact.
0: Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say that there are people listening to us right now that have heard the term drawing a line in the sand, but they have no idea what it's in reference to or what it was about. Uh, And that was at one point when it became clear, and correct me if if my history is wrong, but it became clear that they were not going to get any help from uh, Sam Houston and that Goliad had been destroyed and a lot of people had died there, and that they weren't going to get any help. That's when they realized that Things were not going to go well for them long term, and he gave them the opportunity at that point to to leave if if they so choose. Is that
2: am I close, Kevin? You amaze me. Uh, you know, of course, we're taught these things in Texas, and we're taught Texas history. And of course, we have to know those things <laughs> in, in 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 Texas, but. I'm impressed that you know all those facts. Like I say, you only missed that number three, <laughs> but there were a little over two hundred, you know, in the beginning. And of course, they had to send uh, some reinforcements. They sent carrier uh, messengers out to try and get some more help. And so uh, there was quite a few of them that left left the Alamo before the battle started, trying to you know uh, muster up some some uh, some. Uh, re- some army folks, you know, to come in and fight the battle.
0: Now I, I got to ask you because I'm not. I'm here. I'm not real clear, and that is uh, David Crockett. He, he. By the way, he didn't like the name Davy. You told me the last time we
2: That's talked. That's right. He wanted to be called David.
0: And so David Crockett and uh, I think there was a band of twenty-five or thirty Texicans. Excuse me, uh, Tennesseans that that came with him. And was he expecting to defend the Alamo or did that was that just happenstance?
2: Well, all of this came up. He, he, you know, he got fed up in Tennessee and told him and uh, excuse me for using this word, but this is what Davy Crockett said. He said to the to the legislature of Tennessee, you guys can go to hell and I'm going to Texas. And that's exactly what he said. And and he came to Texas, I guess. I don't think he was in, intended to, to die there, uh, but uh, he ended up there in the, one of those 189 men. But uh, the interesting thing about Davy Crockett, this Tennessean and his group of Tennesseans, he came in and uh, asked William B. Travis, where's your weakest point of entry into this garrison known as the Alamo? And he pointed it out, and that's where it was a there a place where the wall was down. They placed a cannon in there, and he and his his men were there with literally no protection, hardly at all, from from the barrage of Santa Ana. So he was truly a hero of the Alamo, and his men that came from Tennessee.
0: You know, and, and the last time we talked, I I was lamenting the fact that you know there are we have uh, sites like that, which is on my bucket list to go see. And, um, and other places like uh, tombstone and I went to tombstone and it's turned into a, um, tourist trap. And it's not really, you know, they had, they fake the, the gun battle, but it's not really, uh, it gives it doesn't really give you a flavor of what it was like back then to live in that town. Tell me what they're doing with the Alamo now to kind of resurrect the original, um, experience of being there
2: well what they've done it's uh quite it's the state of texas has taken it over uh the general land office is in in charge of it and they have come uh, appropriated several million dollars the city of san antonio owns property in front of the alamo and it's a, a collaboration between the city the state the county and uh, the merchants in downtown San Antonio. And you have to realize we're a town of 1.4 million people. And that Alamo sits right in the middle of it. And what is there now is only the chapel. A lot of people don't understand there. They're walking there and say, oh, man, this thing is small. Well, all of the fortress and stuff is gone. They haven't marked where the fortress did go all the way down to the river and around and around. And uh, so it's there to be seen, but for many years, uh, we have been like that uh, with, with, you know, carnival-like atmosphere there on that hollowed ground. Buses and trolley cars and everything else, horse carriages and stuff for the city going right over that hollowed ground. Uh, That has been is being corrected as we speak. It might be another two years before it's finalized, uh, but we've already got a big museum that's been put in there and it, it, it it's magnificent. They've got that complete, but what they're gonna do is put a, a wall around it and make it like those buildings that are across the way will be a museum now that have been just little, uh, you know, souvenir stores is what they were. And it's going to be it's going to be in two years, it's going to really be nice and it will give some semblance of what it's like. It is pretty hard when you're in downtown of a one point four million people uh, to kind of bring something back. And uh, I have people joking. I've taken tours down there and, and people have said, well, why in the world did they build it downtown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but what i do when i take and i do some tours i i kind of limit it to what I do but sometimes i actually took uh, the family of davy crockett uh, uh family uh they have had a, a reunion there at the Alamo several years ago and i took them out to the mission San Jose and some there are five missions in san antonio and uh I can take someone there and to the missions that have that are away from town and show them what it's like and if you're out in your area in california there's a lot of missions that are still in that state with the fortress around it but it was a, a it was a garrison you know and uh, uh people like they they had their gardens you know when, when the spaniards were there they had their gardens and and then the, the church was there but now at the time of the alamo uh the the uh, uh the church Catholic church had abandoned it and so it was no longer a church at the time of the battle
0: it'd be it had become a fortress because that was the only place that they thought could could support them right
2: during for a battle it's the only place you know it was it just happened to be there when it wasn't built for that purpose it was built there for the for the the missionaries to live and house you know and yeah, uh, yeah so it's it's a uh, it's it's a shrine and you know one of the things that happens there and some people are shocked by it is that there's a texas ranger or alamo ranger standing at the door and everyone is asked to remove their hat and they say it in such a nice way and they say sir or madam would you do you mind removing your hat because this is a shrine and you know when you step in there you're in you're you're, you're, you're in a hollow, you're on hollowed ground, and people expect that. And there's never, a, there's no ticket, there's no nothing to buy. The lady that, uh, her name was Dickerson, that bought the land and saved it from being demolished. What she said when she gave it to the state of Texas is that no one should ever be charged to come to this hollowed ground. So they take donations, but they do not. not and I got to tell you funny stories all the time. I'll tell you, I should have told you the other day. I said, come on down. I'll buy you a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I do that a lot. I said, don't worry about tickets. I'll take care of that for you.
0: Well, that's awfully nice of you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> But it, it's 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 uh, it's nice now, and it. it you, you, but you have to realize what it is that so much of it, the, the walls and stuff were destroyed. So the only thing left is actual mission where the really no fighting took place in that Alamo uh, that you see that big facade that you see all the time. There right. was no fight. Uh, that was the church, and the, uh, that's where the women and the sick. Uh, and, and Jim Bowie, and, uh, he was on his deathbed, and that's where they were, and the children, and a few slaves, and they were the ones that were saved.
0: It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing about American history, is that that's one of the. Well, I was trying going through my my mind of, especially in the Old West, but um, Gettysburg and. The Alamo is falls into that. There aren't very many that fall into that category of the type of um, facility and and what happened there. Uh, so it's 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 an important uh, place. You know, the, the Little Bighorn comes to mind, uh, another place. But you, nobody wants to go live there, so that's why it's pretty desolate still. But but it's it's important that we have people like you that are writing about that time, because it it is. Really important to let's talk about you the author of uh, first of all before I go there, I'm concerned how's your puppy doing?
2: she's laying over here by me and she's just doing pretty good right now she's had a tough couple of nights but she's coming along
0: oh that's good I, I really wish her well because well, thank you uh, thank you because you also have been traveling the country with, with your golden retriever right? Uh, she's a yellow lab. Yellow oh. lab. Well, I knew she was yellow or something. Uh, but but a yellow lab, and the you, you guys have been got into a mobile home or a motor home, a forty footer for a while. Now you've downsized all the way to, to a twenty six footer, and uh, you you traveled the country, and I think that's great. That I think more more people should do that. What do you th- do? You think that's a good idea?
2: Well, I'm loving it, and I'll tell you, it's a great opportunity to sell books. I, I set up my travels around book, uh, book signings and uh, library talks and things like that. So I, uh, I I work my travel in with selling my books and promoting promoting my Westward Sagas
0: series. Now, the Western Sagas series, what, what motivated you to begin writing that? You know, I'm so glad you said
2: Kevin me too uh you know i sat on the front porch with my family and heard these stories which were some of them were just almost unbelievable and uh, the story about my uh, the little 9 year old my grandmother told about my 9 year old i guess he would be like a cousin being captured there in at, on the creek by the indians in austin uh that was in in, in 1841 and how he was taken, the Comanches took him off to Taos and all that. They were telling me the story, and then I decided I've got to research that. And I said, man, this this would make a good book. And I went down to the to University of Texas campus, and they that, that's where the LBJ Library and the Center of American History is. Someone had told me that there's a lot of information about that abduction that happened, and they have the letters and I call them the letters of Angelina, and I thought about writing, putting a little book together about her letters, and what I'm talking about the letters, she had the first letter that she received. It had a one-cent stamp on it, and the postmaster had written, uh, deliver free. Anyhow, that story so touched my heart. I'm in tears. I'm sitting in a, in a there's a man in, by the name of Lewis Jones that was in Independence, uh, uh, Missouri. That didn't know the family, didn't know anything, but what they did, the Good Samaritans put this little boy on when they, they paid sixty dollars to ransom him, and they put him on a wagon train to Independence. And when he ended up there, uh, the people in the wagon train had kind of you know took took him in and took care of him. And they asked the man there by the name of Lewis Jones that they would take care of him and see that he got back to Texas. Because in that way, you know, back in those days, the Santa Fe Trail was all there was. And the only way to get to Texas from there was go by horse or, or take the Mississippi River down in New Orleans and come around. I won't bore you for how it happened. But I read that letter and I thought, that's Lewis Jones. Who is this guy? And I found out that he was the fan that founded Independence, Missouri, and his home still still is there. And that got me started, and then I started reading the letters of all the good Samaritans that were trying to help get this little boy back. And it just made a beautiful story. And I went to, my original thought was just to write a book about that, and this was my, my last book, Comanche Trace. But it, there's a man by the name of H.W. Brand, quite an author in Texas, and he belongs to the same writing league I do out of Austin, uh, the Writers League of Texas. And I was at a function, and I had an opportunity to talk to him and tell him about what I was thinking about. And he said, David, you need to go back to where this fam- why this family came to Texas. And that's what I did. I went back and researched that, and so I spent ten or twelve years doing the research before I started started the book at uh, at about uh, in two thousand about two thousand and three. So the series started really in about two thousand and three, and it's now into the fifth book. Hope I answered your question. I'm sorry it took so long with that.
0: No, you did you did beautifully, and the, because from. I think there are a lot of people that are alive now who are not students of history, uh, that are not really aware of the difficulty with which people traveled in those days. Uh, And you told me something the last time we talked that I had no idea about, that uh, um, at one point, Texas, the border of Texas went all the way up to uh, Oklahoma, or, or no, Wyoming. A 42nd
2: parallel, matter of fact, if you look at one of the maps of Texas prior to 1850, it took in half of New Mexico, most of Oklahoma, went all the way up the, through Colorado, and then ended at the 42nd
0: parallel. So, you know, when we start thinking about, about that size of Texas at the time, you know, in in 1836 when they declared their independence from, from um, Mexico, um that was, you know, the, the, they could have been almost half the size of the United States.
2: Yes, sir. And uh, uh, at that time, yes, it was much
0: larger uh,
2: than than the United States, but the the exact area of ground was 63 million square miles.
0: That's a big place. Yeah. So, you know, and and the it,
2: United States government wanted to buy it from from for, for 10 million dollars.
0: Well, heck, they got the uh, um, Louisiana purchase for like thirteen or something silly. Like
2: yeah, yeah. but ten million dollars worth a lot of money back in those days.
0: But it was, it was. Yeah. But, but you know, a lot of people, um, uh, David, don't really, unless you've studied the time period, they don't recognize how hardy these people were, how difficult the journey was, how dangerous it was all the way along from they came from Tennessee all the way to Texas.
2: Uh, it was quite a trip, and uh, you know there was there were no interstates back in those days, and, and it 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 was it was pretty difficult. And and you know a lot of people think about the freight wagons and Ma and Pa sitting on. The, I get tickled all the Western movies. Uh, they, they they got Ma and Pa sitting on the buckboard, you know, driving the wagon. Well, those big freight wagons that they came in, schooners or whatever you called them they they didn't they didn't they were, they made the women and children get out of them and walk because it was too dangerous if the furniture shifted or uh supply farm equipment or whatever were to shift in those big freight wagons it'd kill them so it wasn't safe so they they walked along every once in a while you'll see him move his right and they walk man the the man that's running he's walking along he's walking along uh, beside them, with some of them with a bull whip. Uh, they, you know, they whistle along. And then, when they got tired, they could. They had a a little board that they could put down and and sit on that board. But they didn't. These people had to walk <laughs> all the way from Tennessee to Texas.
0: And it's not like if you are listening to this and you you're you're. Um around today it's not like you could go to the czech medical center down the block if you had a problem or if you broke something or or if you fell and hurt yourself there was nothing there and uh so the death rate i'm told from those excursions were very very high and is that in your research is that proven to be yes
2: very very much so very very much so and and uh, uh, you know uh, the Indians, I mean, they took they weren't just real happy about the white man coming down here and taking their, <laughs> taking their happy hunting grounds. I and you know they had good reasons for it. And yeah. I can tell you one of the one of the things that people don't understand about the clash between the Indians and 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 their, the white man uh, was that. The Indians could never understand land ownership, and these Anglo uh, 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 Europeans came over. And of course, they people owned land over there, and they wanted the same thing. And of course, the state, uh, the, the Republic of Texas, was given land. They were given every single uh, uh, man, as, uh, if he would stay there and homestead it, uh, uh, a section of land which is 640 acres. That was a pretty good bounty, and so a uh, uh, head right they called it, Kevin. And uh, that that the, the thing about that land ownership, you know, be I, I read stories where there'd be a, a, a rancher or something, and he'd look out his window and he'd see a, a, a group of Indians setting up teepees on his property, and he'd he'd get all upset about it really and the indians you know they just uh they couldn't understand that a man could come could own that land because that land had always been theirs and that was the big thing there that they just couldn't if they had ever been able to convince the indians hey we'll give you land just like we're giving the, but they didn't understand now and and it it you know if you understand the indian culture even the indians will tell you that they just didn't understand that 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 was the big thing that divided them uh, was the the land issue
0: well yeah because they 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 roamed a large and, and most of the time they were following the game that's um, right and the in the animals that they used to, to live on and they you know the buffalo and the antelope and the and the cattle and, and all the things that they lived on and and so they would move to where the game was so that they could live. So it wasn't like they didn't put up fences and they didn't, they didn't, you know, uh, raise cattle and, and do it that way. They just followed the game.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And it's, it's, you know, the, when you, and I know that with the amount of research that you've done, that there are lots of, lots of things that we as a country could have done better as far as managing the, uh, when we, when we moved West um, in, in those in, in this day and age, I think it's important for us to recognize it, but um, not to dwell on it. Does that make sense? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's
0: water under the bridge, water
2: under the bridge. We got a pretty good thing going for us. My grandkids, I got a grandson that he used to crawl up in my lap. and He says, grandpa, tell me about the good old days. And I said, son, you're living them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is that is so true you know you know what i uh, um one of the, the the things that that makes me glad that i that live in this time and there are so many people that are like me it's because of the invention of indoor plumbing
2: yes think about that and that's why cholera kills so many you know we talked about so many people dying cholera was one of the biggest uh killers of the, the people that moved here you know they had no idea what was causing it to the cities they started you know the cities and stuff and it you know it wasn't it wasn't until latter part of of eight you know eighteen hundreds that they uh finally got an eye a handle on what was causing cholera. and you're exactly right it was not half the plumbing situation wasn't very good in most of
0: these cities. Well, and a lot of them they didn't have showers, and you know it was like that that old expression, "Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater." Remember that one?
2: Yes, sir. Uh, and that's as that a true saying. I gotta tell you, I had in my first book, I, a, I I created I created a fi- fictional character called Trapper John, and he was. He claimed he was raised by a bear and that sort of thing. His pretty, his hygiene was a little bit <laughs> lax, <laughs> and he he befriended he befriended uh, uh, this uh, this other, uh, and he was going to dinner, and so this guys told him. He says, "Well, you know," he says, "I want you to go over there in, in my cabin," and he says, and he he made him a, a tub of water, and uh, left him there and uh, to, to bathe, and he said, "Now, don't forget." to wash where the sun don't shine. So the guy goes out, gives the guy an hour or so to get cleaned up. And he came back in and the guy had moved the the wash tub. And he (laughs) says, why would you, he moved it over by the window, you know, and he says, you told me (laughs) it was in the, you know, in the sunlight. (laughs) He says, you told me not to to, to, to wash wash where the sun don't shine.
0: (laughs) It's, it's it's an amazing. It's, we've come so far in in our culture. By the way, we we're talking with uh, David Bowles. He is the author of the uh, um, Western Sockets. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, the Western Sockets. I was scrolling up to it right there, and there are there are five books in the series, and I highly in, in, encourage you to get them. I'm I'm lobbying for this to become a, a mini series that's that's would,
2: what I'd like to see man that's great i i would love that and i that's kind of what i envisioned and i will tell you i wrote it in such a way that it would be very easy to convert to to a screenplay or a, a miniseries or something like that
0: and Oh, so, I, well yeah. you know things like uh there there have been lots of them that that are uh that were done and became miniseries and stuff anyway we're talking with david A. Bowles, and we're going to be right back we need to take a short break just a couple of seconds or so and uh i want you to appreciate the uh sponsors and uh and to hang out with us some more this is a fascinating discussion and we're going to be talking more with uh david right after these messages you're listening to positive talk radio
2: when you want to say more than words communicate you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is a naturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. Now through New Year's Eve, here's your exclusive bonus for being our appreciated listener. Type in promo code Positive Talk Radio at checkout to receive twenty dollars off your order. Our gift to you for being here with us today. a naturaldesign.com.
0: These days, it's difficult to be able to do it all, especially as a small business owner. Marketing your business can be really tough, especially developing a presence on social media, creating commercial content, and media production. That's where KAMmedia.pro can help. You see, in addition to creating a great podcast called Positive Talk Radio, we also have a radio show, video, audio production, content creation, including commercials, video shorts and trailers, voiceovers, social media development, and so much more. It only makes sense to hire a pro to get your business noticed. That's what we do. Please visit kmmedia.pro for more information and to schedule a consultation to take your business stream to the next level. That's kmmedia.pro. Yes, we can. and welcome everybody back to positive talk radio my name is kevin mcdonald i'm your host and uh, this is a little offbeat for us we just a lot of times we talk about you know self-development and coaching and stuff but we're talking with a gentleman who it's really near and dear to my heart because david a bowles is with us and he has written a western saga Uh, uh the westward sagas and the and it's about a family in the in the mid 1800s that go from tennessee to texas and their trials and tribulations of, of what happened back then and and um one of the reasons i wanted to have you on david was that uh you are you spent a long time researching these books and you're not you're not a spring chicken you're, i can say that because i'm not either um but when did you start writing um and what was your motivation other than the story that you were telling but had you always wanted to be a writer? Kevin, I always
2: caught myself saying, damn, that would make a good book. You know, <laughs> I, I, my my family would uh, tell a story and I man, I can't believe it, you know? And and i tell you what, they told a lot of stories on that front porch and you know, out under the big old willow tree that we had in the front yard. And uh, I remember those stories like it was yesterday and they would tell them and it was kind of funny. Uh, sometimes it'd be a little bit different. And I got text on my dad and his, his brothers, you know, sitting around. And if no, it wasn't that way, it was, you know, this and that. And of course, it, they didn't know because. Well, it happened in eighteen in eighteen thirties. Actually, you said eighteen fifties, but it, we're talking the eighteen thirties with when they came to Texas, you know. Oh wow! Yeah, and and so uh, it, it, I, what, as I started doing the research and getting into it and getting the story straight, um, and and they were pretty well right on, except you know they didn't know how they how they came how you know uh how did they get here uh, they didn't know about going down the, the nature's trace and you know crossing wow. crossing the rivers and all that sort of stuff and uh, so as i documented that and i was amazed that today with the internet now you've got to realize that i did i started doing my research back in uh, started about 1984 and i was given uh my great-grandmother's bible she was the first child born in austin texas in 1841 and inside that bible were documents and dates and i'd go back i had the names now you got to realize the family name that i was researching for this book but smith but fortunately They had some odd first names, (laughs) and the way that, like Fenwick Smith, and 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 my grandmother was Rebecca. That's what my old pooch over here is named for. Rebecca is named for my four great grandmother. Uh, uh, Rebecca spelled the uh, uh, the way of the old old Bible, and uh, by having those uh, spellings, I was able to find out so much information. And it's it, it, just a beautiful story, and I, I, I and it was tough. Yes, it was tough, but you know, uh, those that survived did well.
0: Yeah, and if they got six hundred acres of land, yeah, um, that 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 would help. You know, I I'm struck, David, because uh, you started doing research in the in the nineteen eighties. Um, did you meet? Some of the children, now, you wouldn't have met some of the folks that were actually there, but it is possible that you could have met some of the children or grandchildren of people that were there at one point. Did you? Yes, and of course my my
2: my grandmother, my grandmother Bowles, she was she was there, and she could tell some some stories, and she kept. If you got a moment, I'll tell you a little story. She I got kept, a moment. She kept telling me that uh, her granddad built the Capitol. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that picture of uh, 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 the state capital of Texas. It's three foot tall and the one in Washington. very it looks very similar. And a lot of times on TV, people are playing like they're in Washington and they're using the Texas Capitol from the background. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, You can get you can look at it. If it's pink, it's not the United States Capitol, it's the Texas Capitol. And she kept telling me that uh, her her grandfather, Lorenzo Van Cleve, built that Capitol. And my grandma being my grandmother, I believed her. And in the fourth grade, I told my teacher uh that we we took a I we I went to school in Austin and we went down to the Capitol for a uh, for for a tour and I told her, I said, you know, my granddaddy built this capital. And she says, oh, really? She says, well, you know, why don't you uh, get me the information and write a book report? And said, you need a little help on your grades. <laughs> I'll give you extra credit for it. Well, I started I went to my parents and started talking to him. I said, I can't find any information that Lorenzo Van Cleve built the capitol. And the only thing I found is that uh, they use uh, convict (laughs) laborers to build build that capital. So I kind of dropped it for quite a few years. And then suddenly uh, I realized, looking in the Bible, that uh, Lorenzo Van Cleve died in 1858 and that capitol that we know sitting there in the middle of at 11th and Congress Avenue in Austin, Texas, big tall beautiful building made of granite, Texas granite. And that building was built in 1888. So I said, well, she was sure wrong on that. I found I found a receipt from the state from from the Republic of Texas for $60. And it was for Maribou Lamar, the president of the Republic of Texas at that time, to build a cabinet table. And then I started searching deeper. And you know what? He did build a capital, but not that one.
0: I he built, built
2: a predecessor to it. Yeah, he built a wooden, it was just a little wooden building. I I managed to even find the the pictures. And if anybody wanted to go to the website, I actually had, because there was no cameras back in those days. But it was what we just call a little dog trot house. It was like a cabin on one side, maybe maybe, uh, six, 700 square feet, and then a dog trot in the middle, and then another one on the other side. And that's where the governor's office was, and where the led, of course, the legislature didn't have near as many. We've got 254 counties now, but at that time we only had about 16 counties. So, you know, it, it was a much smaller legislature and stuff. But that place now is does, and I'm a little upset about that. I've contacted the Travis County Historical Society about it several times. There should be a marker there. That that's where the original capital was. But when they built it, they kind of built it in a hurry. Everything that was built there was kind of ramshackle and just a, you know, just he was just basically a carpenter, you know, cabinet maker, and a, probably a pretty good one. But he did, and he received, he received six hundred and forty extra acres, and you're not gonna believe where it was
0: in uh houston
2: dallas (laughs) on the the trinity river actually i take that back he he for 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 building the capital and the work the the paperwork i said he was he was paid for building out the federal buildings in austin and he received 1280 acres of bounty and he sold it uh, before he died and and he got a dollar an acre for it, and it's right now, right down on the Trinity River. If you ever have you ever been into Dallas, you, the Trin, you know where that. It's right downtown, right downtown Dallas. But he sold it for a dollar an acre. It's now right where now he never lived there, and that was the thing. A lot, a lot of these guys that did things for the state, the state, I mean, the, the Republic of Texas at that time had no money. So the only thing they had was a lot of land, so they could give it away in lieu of cash. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if you if you've got you know a hundred thousand miles of of stuff, and you can or a hundred thousand square yeah. miles, you can you can parcel it out that way.
2: What the thing? The moral of the story is that Grandma was right. But she had no, she and even my dad had no idea there was another capital, you know, and and it turns out there were three. There was original wood one and then they built a stucco one that was burned down in 1853. And then that's when the desk that he built uh, lasted. But that desk that he built went through three presidents of the Republic of Texas and eight governors before the fire that destroyed that table and the reason i know that i spent 10 years looking for that damn table in the capitol
0: <laughs> well, you know and and i just want to uh, implore everybody that's listening to this because you know when people are when people get older and um, and the generations pass there's a, s- a section of history that gets lost with them and I really would implore people, because now we are in a place where, and you'll appreciate this, David, we're in a place where if you, if you fought in World War II, many of those guys are in their 90s now, and a lot of them are passing away. We need to keep that history alive, because what you did, you were able to keep the history of old Texas and the 1800s alive, and through your writings now and the books you've written, that 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 is otherwise things that would be lost to humanity had you not taken the time to do that do you recognize that yeah you know
2: kevin uh, that's what i really had on my mind when i wrote the first book and uh, the first book was springhouse and i dedicated it to to you know my ancestors and I wrote it in such a way that people that have read all my books, they say, well, you can really tell your first book you wrote for the family because I wanted to make sure that I documented everything in the back with an index and that sort of thing and so that they could go back and ever and find out, you know, uh, the, the the copies of these letters and things like that. And I did have that in mind and more and more people read the book that weren't family. And they said, you know, I really liked your book. And that's when I decided to kind of make the book for commercial. But I originally, the first book was just intended for my family. And we went to Greensboro, North Carolina, where uh, Battle of Guilford Courthouse was fought and our ancestor fought there, lived there. And I gave everybody a book. And that's, really how it kind of started but i really never even thought beyond commercializing the westward sagas which i at the second book i decided well if this is going to be a series we got to have a name for the series and i registered i own the trademark to westward sagas
0: it's an important thing that you've done and it's true because you've studied it and it's not fantasy now there are you know, to be to be fair There are some moments that have been lost to history and you had to uh uh, work with that a little bit as an author will and uh but you had the experience of what happened back then to make it all realistic and uh, true to life
2: and it's in the letters and it's in the archives and the, the info and you know it i'd like to say this for your audience uh if your family's been here in this country at least three generations there's a good chance that your family. The uh, chances are are really good that your family was probably here for the for the American Revolution, or at least the War of 1812. And but they should go back and tr- check that out. And the records are there now. I had to go to the courthouses to get my records, and now today ancestry.com bless those people they've done a wonderful job of documenting so many things and you you can find your genealogy and you can find out who your ancestors were and i love watching that show that's on uh public radio uh uh, uh, i can't the fellow's name was gates and he does this wonderful job of helping people find their roots and and to watch them sit there and cry sometimes when they out. You know about their family and things like that and of course you take the the chance i know going down my going down my trail uh checking out my family i found some really
0: (laughs) not everybody can be a wonderfully uh uh, educated and warm soul
2: (laughs) exactly
0: (laughs) but they were people and they were products of their time and uh, in those days, you were, it was, you know, the, you, your gun and you, and, and there wasn't even any law around for a long time. Exactly. It's, 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 it's a marver- marvelous thing that you've done, uh, David. David A. Bowles is the name of the author. Um, his books remind me a great deal of uh, Louis L'Amour, which I know you, you were a student of a bit. Yes, sir. And uh, go to uh, his website, which is westwardsagas.com, and you can buy all of his books. And you can buy even the book series and uh, and get them all done. And have, are they in audio book and, and all that stuff yet? No,
2: I haven't done an audio book. And I just, I'll tell you why. It's, uh, I I think a book should be read and enjoyed like a good steak uh slowly and enjoy it and i just somebody driving down the highway at 80 miles an hour listening to my book they're going to miss half the story i i i just i'm not sold on this audible book everybody keeps telling me i've got to do it and i may someday do it but i haven't yet and the big thing is is the the cost to do the audible books and the remuneration just it's just not there and i've had people say oh you can make lots of money well you you know you can sell a lot of books but (laughs) and i i I got a dog here with a big vet bill. i gotta (laughs) i gotta try and make a few bucks here and there kevin
0: well i'll I'll tell you i i have done audiobooks it's a it's a time-consuming thing but you know a story like this would be it would be an honor for me to tackle part of it or all of it for you, and uh, I'm I, and I come relatively cheap, as my friends know. Well,
2: let's talk about it sometime. Not on the air, but let's talk about it.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Again, um, um, we've just got a few minutes left, and I want to to give you the opportunity, David, to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know about your work and your ancestors and and the times and and we've got about two minutes so anything that you'd like to, to let them know
2: well i just like them to uh take a look go to my website uh you know the wonderful eight go to amazon.com you got free reads on there and you can go and of course i have electronic books i have, like i said i haven't done audible yet but i have electronic and i have the books and then if you buy them from my website you can get them autographed and here right at christmas time I can make them out to whomever you want to give a gift and send it directly to them. And uh, that makes a nice gift. And the bundle, we call it, we have it's basically you get one of the books free uh, where the the latest book, which is uh, uh, My Sheriff of Star County, which is really going to be a great book, uh, won't be available until February, but you, it can be pre-ordered on, on uh, Amazon.com but uh you can buy the books from me or buy it from amazon or your local bookstore any uh my my wholesaler is ingram sparks and they can uh they can uh, get a book out in two to three days to any bookstore in america so you know the books are readily available they may not be in your your stores out in in and in and Wors- in, uh in seattle but uh there's there's certainly uh, the bookstores can get them real quick, if you just go in there and ask for David A. Bowles, I might tell you also, there's another David Bowles in Texas that's an author. Doesn't live too far down the road from me, a couple hundred miles. But I'll tell you, as a friend told me, he said, David, I can't believe you wrote that book because my genre is completely opposite. He's more into fantasy and that sort of thing. So you, you, you can kind of be surprised, uh, uh, my books are strictly in the West and have the, the label Westward Sagas on them. So, uh, but, uh, I, I, and if anybody wants to contact me, I'm also doing a, a little speaking and, and, and I travel around with old Becca and we put on a little show and they can find me on Westward Sagas and, and see about what I do for entertainment. And uh, I'd love to, I'd love to come out your way, going West. love stories about western sagas
0: going west that's right love to have you love to have you it'd be great it'd be great fun and i just want to remind everybody one of the things that we do here is we do something called family legacies uh don't let your family's legacy pass away and you not take advantage of seeing people and hearing people in their own voice tell their own stories uh whether we do it or somebody else does it don't let history die It's, it's, you know, because if we do, then we're guaranteed to repeat some of the bad parts of it. And we don't want to do that. So, David A. Bowles has been our guest. David, thank you so much for being here. Western or WestwardSagas.com. Go there. I want to thank everybody for being here. We will see you Wednesday at 4 o'clock. And remember, be kind to one another because each other's all we've got.